you really been a friend of Jesus? Have you really stood the test? Have you done your best? And then a warmth come over my soul. The tears began to roll. I have a message tonight I believe the Lord has given me. I did something that I've never done before. I wasn't going to tell you, but I am. I left home without any of the notes and the outline that I had worked on for over a month. And when I got here, I thought about very strongly missing the service last night and driving back home and driving back here this morning to get my notes. I called home and my daughter said, we can fax them to you. I said, you'd never get them straight. (laughs) But it was no accident. And I felt from the beginning, somehow, I didn't panic. I felt the Lord's got something else in mind. And so our thought tonight is, did you know we can make God happy? I really believe that. The Bible tells us that we can. All through the Bible, it talks about God blessing us. And what he will bless us for. And then it talks about, and I will bless God. And praise God. All the commentators say, when it says, bless the Lord, Oh, my soul, and so forth. Everywhere it says, bless the Lord. They say, it means adore him and praise him. But, there, it's the same, very same word everywhere that, that speaks of the Lord blessing his people. Now, I know it says that without contradiction, the less is blessed of the greater. That's as far as being able to profit and to add unto. Now, we can't do anything. We can't add anything unto God. We can't give Him anything He doesn't have except the joy and satisfaction that He'll get because of His great love for us if we will just trust Him and obey. In Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 41, 38 and 41. I want to read two verses there. Chapter 32 and verse 38. God said, And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. That's a very, that's the most privileged people that of all people. And in verse 41 he said, Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good 
and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. Now, I can't explain all that. I can't tell you I understand it all, but I tell you this. You can't love like God loves and not be made glad when it's returned. And you can't love like God loves and not be hurt and feel bad and be grieved when it's not thankfully accepted and returned. I believe that we can add joy to our God by trusting obedience. He delights in being able to bless his children and he doesn't enjoy chastising them. He gets more pleasure from his obedient, loving, trusting child, I believe, than from any other thing in all of his creation. Zephaniah 3.17, when it's, it's talking there about uh, the, when the people of Israel are restored to fellowship and right relationship with God, it says over there that he will joy over them with singing. Can you imagine that? Over there in Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17. Yes, we can give cause for joy. We can bless our God. That's a very humbling thought. There isn't anything else that we can give him. We sing of amazing grace, how sweet the sound, and it is. But let us never forget that we are saved by grace because of the most amazing and most glorious and beautiful and desirable and undeservable of all of God's attributes. His love. No one has ever loved so much and given so much and been given less in return and yet kept right on giving. No one else would. This book, I'm convinced, is a far greater treasure than we have hardly begun to realize. I opened this book this morning and began to read and think of these things that Much of it I already had read, but they hadn't meant so much to me before. That warmth came over my soul. This book is to his beloved and wonder of wonders. That includes me. It is to us who know him the knowledge of the one who loves us with such an everlasting, uncomprehendable, but undeniably real and never failing and always working love. It's working now. His love is working right now. And I prayed and prayed and prayed. God, give us such an uplifting in these services. 
that we will be so encouraged and strengthened and made ready to put up with anything, to endure anything, to keep on keeping on till he comes. Now I keep hearing preachers say, and I have to tell you, I don't agree with them on this. If you said it, I'm not putting you down. But I just see it differently. Yes, God chose me. Yes, he chose you. But he never, ever chose to love me. There never was a time he didn't love me. Oh. He chose us because he loved us. Not loved us because he chose to. God's not any different than the rest of us in that sense. God doesn't make himself. He can't force himself. He will not to love somebody. You either love them or you don't. Jacob, he loved. Esau, he didn't. Several have mentioned that already. Not simply after they had been conceived, but not yet born, which many people seem to think that's all it's talking about there, but it said that the purpose of election might stand. And so in the very beginning, when he foreknew them, and me, and you, if you're saved, We were told, I believe, he always had loved Jacob and he never had loved Esau. His purposes and his provisions for us were because true love constrains. The Apostle Paul said the love of Christ constraineth us. And I believe that I can say, and you can say if you're saved, of God and Jesus Christ, our Savior, their love for us constrained them to do all they've done. I started to tremble as God began to give me the words, the thoughts that I'm trying to convey unto you, of course. I'm not able to convey them unto you as God conveyed them unto me, but he is. But while I was thinking and writing and reading, there was a thought that kept stopping me for a moment, or a few moments. And that was, I'm one of them. He loves. He loves me. Why did he save me? My Bible, this wonderful, precious book of books, tells me 
and the blessed Holy Spirit constantly reassures me that it was because nothing would give him more pleasure. That's why he saved me. He loves me so much, loves us so much, that he gave him great pleasure to predestinate us unto himself to become his child. Now I want to read from Ephesians chapter 1. Think on these words like you never have before. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein we have, he hath made us acceptable. Yeah. Me acceptable. Yeah. Boy, that took some doing. Amen, brother. Oh, my. In the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us, you and me. Yeah. In all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us, Brother Harvey, <laughs> having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Amen. Then we'd li- I'd like to go on sometime and, and, and just preach the book of Ephesians for a sermon outline. Then he quickened us who were dead in trespasses and sins, when in time past we walked according to the course of this world like everybody else. And we're, you know, uh, under the guidance of the prince and power of the air. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherein he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace, you're saved. Under good works. And then we could go on and we could talk about how that we've been built together upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets and uh, built into a, a growing into a holy temple in the Lord. That's if you're a member of one of the Lord's churches. And then we could go on and it tells us about how that we're to put off the old man and put on the new and we're to put away lying and, and we're to uh, not let the sun go down on our wrath, be angry but sin not and go on and, and uh, not be bitter and, and not grieve the Holy Spirit of God and it just gives us such wonderful instructions. But 
Well, what I want you to remember there is, what I believe it's saying is, that it gave him great pleasure. I used to read that and think, well, God does as he pleases. But now I see this as saying, it pleasured God to predestinate me unto himself to become his child. And it pleasured God to redeem my soul through the blood of his son Jesus and make me acceptable in the beloved. It gave him pleasure or pleasured God to reveal unto me. John Titus at 24105 Hass Road, Dearborn Heights, Michigan. Under, through the powerful preaching of the cross by his humble servant, Harry Hilly. The mystery of his will. It pleased him. It will give him pleasure to take me home to glory. Where he then will be able to show me and I will be able fully capable of receiving and enjoying his love and to love him finally in the manner my soul longs to and I know he's so worthy of. Oh my. But what about now? This meantime. I've been predestinated. I've been called. I've been made accepted in the beloved. But what about now? First, God is concerned. We seem to be obsessed with learning to benefit ourselves and more and more with crowns and rewards and treasures for ourselves. But what about the lover of our soul? He wants us to do these things. He wants us to have all the rewards and all the treasure in heaven that we can have. But I would rather know that I'm doing it because I love Him and because of His love for me than for any reward. Oh, listen. That what I'm doing, rather than getting me blessings, and all the things that go with them, both here in this life and the life to come, but that my being in church, not letting anything stop me, and my being separate from the world, trying the best I can to live up to the teachings of the Word of God, And standing true to his word and preaching the truth without compromise or fear or favor. I like to think about it giving him pleasure. Putting him first into my thinking. In all of my planning. Before any consideration for my children before any consideration for my wife, before considering, uh, before making a living, or before any self-gratification, that I'm doing it because it'll bring him pleasure after I've caused him so much grief, 
if I can just give them a little pleasure, it just blesses my heart until I can't hardly talk. It gives him great pleasure for me to love him, for you to love him, for us to trust him. So he can bless us and save us from suffering so much loss. And even use us to help other precious souls to come to him. You see, we're his children. We've been made acceptable in the beloved. We are beloved. And we can't do what the first son did. We can't have a part in creation and those kind of things, but as Jesus told his disciples, there are greater things than that. And preaching the gospel to the lost, witnessing wherever we have the opportunity, doing what we can to contribute to the work of the Lord's church and building up the kingdom here on earth, There's greater works in God's sight than the creation of the sun and the moon or the healing of the lame or making the blind to see. I will rejoice over them to do them good, we read in Jeremiah 32. How can we refuse him anything? Once we're sure, once we're convinced once the Spirit of God has taken the Word of God and, and given us conviction of it, how can refuse give up anything to do anything, to pay any sacrifice or, or any uh, cost? When we hear, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. I beseech God's people all the time, present their bodies. A living sacrifice unto God. Amen. Holy. Now, if you just read over that, you want people think, holy acceptable. It doesn't say that. It says, it says set apart just for God Amen. in an acceptable way. Amen. According to the teaching of the Word. Amen. Present your body a living sacrifice set apart for God. Yeah. Just for God. Sanctified. When Jesus said, be ye holy, or when the Bible says, be ye holy as he is holy, it means be set apart for God, like Jesus was set apart for God. He said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. We need to realize that. We need that to, to make that a truth in our life. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. By the renewing of your mind. Sure do think different, don't you, Brother Harvey? Have different ambitions. Different goals, you know. Different things that please you and, and make you feel good. That you may prove what is that good. I want to tell you something. There's nothing the Bible teaches that God's people should do. There's no price they could pay in order to do it that wouldn't be uh, more than, uh, you know... Uh, 
reasonable to do and have that good and acceptable and perfect will of God in your life. That good, perfect will of God. Do it for Him. Because it'll please Him. It'll, it'll give Him joy. Isn't that hard to believe that such as I and you could give God joy? I was always thinking that we can't give a, do a thing for God. That He does everything for us. And that's true in the sense of doing things for and, and profiting and, and adding to. See, we, we, think, uh, we sort of teach, I think, that we uh, tell people that, that you've got to do everything you do for God's glory. And it sounds like that God just can't get enough of glory for Himself. But what He's talking about, I believe, He's got every bit of glory that He ever had, and He doesn't have any more than He ever did. The only way we can glorify God is to reveal unto folks His glory that He has and what He will do with it. He gives us explicit and very plain instructions in just how to live. Yeah, we, don't, we love Him enough, don't we? When I said do it for Him, then I wanted to add do it for self and do it for others. Do it for those precious children that they might be saved. And if saved, they might learn how to live a Life they won't be ashamed of and not make decisions uh, in the early part of their life that they will regret and, you know, uh, reap what they sow as long as they live. Yes, we do love Him, but we're all guilty of not even beginning to love Him as He deserves or nearly as much as we know we should. And I said he gives us explicit and very plain instructions in just how to live the best life which will be profitable for us both in this life and the life to come. Godliness is profitable in both this life and the life to come. Too many people think you, it just gives you trouble and costs you a lot uh, to be godly here in this life, but you'll profit you when you get over there. But I can take any group of people anywhere. I can take in the 36 years I've been pastoring the Home Baptist Church of Mount Morris, Michigan, and I can line up, if I could get them to come back, I could take all of these uh, uh, boys and girls that I could just think of, I mean, they're on my mind right now, and I could call their names who the minute they got old enough and grown and on their own, who walked away from the church and turned their back on everything they'd ever been taught, though they claimed to be saved and they seemed to have every indication that they were. But now they're slaves to drink. They're slaves to drugs. They're, they're on their second, third, or fourth marriage. Their children hate them and, and so forth. And I can take those who stayed in church and lived by the Word and, and stayed true to God and you can put all of those over here that are, are suffering uh, from all the ravages of sin and you can put those over here who stayed in church and you won't even begin to think about which one are better off. 
Oh, the Lord said, you know, in there in Malachi, the last few verses there, when he said, and then will you be able to see who was it, who was better off. He tells us, as pilgrims and strangers here, abstain from worldly lusts, which war against the soul. Come out from among them and be you separate, for evil communications will spoil everything and damage your fellowship with me and hinder your being, me being able to bless you. Find the church of his choice, not just a true church, but the right one of true churches. Let nothing keep you from being faithful, taking your place in that body. Separate yourself. Present your bodies. Never consider marrying an unbeliever. Or even an unspiritual believer. Honor your husband. Love and nourish and cherish your wife. Honor your mother and your father. And in doing these things, you'll honor me, God says. It honors God. It blesses God. Surely you love him enough to abstain from sexual relationships. Sexual activity, any kind, at all. I hope you don't Think like the president. But abstain from these things. Surely you love him enough to abstain from unlawful sex until joined in marriage in the Lord. By all means, don't even consider being married until you can be married in the Lord. And my son is 48 years old and just about and never been married. And he says, Dad, you just don't have any idea. You've never been in that condition. How lonely it can be. I say, son, you're right. I've never been that way. I've had a loving wife all these years. And I've got children that love me and love to come home. But I tell him one thing I want you to understand, son. There's one thing worse than being lonely, there's one thing worse than not being married. And that's being married to the wrong person. Far better never to be married. The Bible makes that very clear. Than to be married to the wrong person. Do you love him enough to follow his instructions in these things? To deny ungodliness and worldly lust even to wear your dresses, ladies, at least down to the knee. And not to put on those ungodly, immodest shorts. 
to displease God and to hurt Him if you're His child and because you won't listen to Him and the word He speaks to you through His man. God's people know what's good to them, for them. They'll listen to the words that God gives His servant. God said uh, over there in the Old Testament, He said, if you don't, I'll make this place like Shiloh which was where the glory of the Lord departed there for a while and where the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines. 30,000 Israelites died. But I said this the other night. I hope and pray God will shoot it into the heart I said, ladies, if you put on a miniskirt, show any part of your flesh or your thigh above the knee, or put on a pair of shorts and go out in public, you might as well make yourself a sign that covers the whole front of you and the whole back of you and say on that sign, please don't mistake me for one of those believers. Please don't mistake me for a Christian. Because you're telling the whole world that you're not one. And you'll never convince them you are. As long as you continue to dress that way. Not only displease the Lord, but destroy your influence. If it hurts me, how much you think it hurts God? I've talked about the agony of loving. You always hurt the one you love or that loves you. I've thought and preached much on moms and dads giving so much of their selves and being given so little honor and respect in return. But our Heavenly Father must be the most grieved and agonized of all lovers, especially with this age, this generation. He's given us more and allowed us to have more of the world's uh, material things to enjoy than any other people of any other time. And most of them won't give up anything just to make him happy. Even little things, things that don't cost them a thing, don't, don't, uh, they don't carry any pain with them, such as I've been talking about, honoring your parents, loving your wives, Proper dress, letting the man set the rules for the house, and so forth. Honoring and loving your wife and cherishing your wife. And standing up for the truth. Be active in church. For hundreds of years, his people have lived in caves and wandered on the face of the earth and lived in constant fear for their lives, having none of the things to enjoy that we've had, that we do. Do we really believe that God has feelings? Do we really care? If we can go ahead and do something that we know we shouldn't have, that we know doesn't please Him, and when we realize what we've done, 
not only the guilt of the sin itself, but the guilt of the willful presumption that we have exercised. Does that break our heart? It ought to break our heart if we love him, even start to love him like we should. Knowing that we're breaking his heart. You know, Jesus showed the, his feelings uh, when he stood and looked over Jerusalem there and wept. Do we really care how much it hurt God to hurt Jesus like he had to? To make us accepted in the beloved? To pay for our sins? But he loved us so much, he loved us even more than that. Do we really believe how much it hurt Jesus to be hurt by the Father? To take our place? Then how can we grieve him and not be broken hearted? I could have written down a whole lot of ways that we let him down, that we grieve him that we heard him because of his great love for us. Nothing hurts him more than for us to not have all he'd like to see us have. He's not just after his own good feelings. But boy, it makes him feel good when we do the things and live in such a way that he will and can pour out the blessings upon us that he's able to and delights in doing. We grieve the Savior, Son. We grieve the blessed Holy Spirit. We grieve the Father. When we're disobedient. When we put anyone or anything else before them. When we don't just believe and trust that it's best for us. It's good. His will for us. We cause unbelievable and immeasurable grief with our every little disobedience. And I believe when one of them is grieved, they all are. They are grieved by the lack of real love we give them, by our unthankfulness and unwillingness to suffer just a little for them. Stop and think. Even a little fleshly disappointment Or the death of a stranger. Or some tragic accident. Down where Brother Asbury used to be, where Brother Hamill is, there was a woman driving the yard tractor. Had her little child, was it three years old? To almost two years old. And somehow it fell off, she fell off, and the mother that run over her, and was it both feet and both hands? Both feet and one arm, one hand were lost. And we had folks, when I asked, told them this story and asked for prayers for that woman, that mother, that father, and the other rest of the family, and the people who were the fr their friends and so forth, 
We had tears coming down their eyes. Like I said, just a little fleshly disappointment will bring tears. The death of a stranger will bring tears sometimes. But how many have ever wept because of God's unrequited love? Because we haven't loved Him like He's due anywhere near in return for what He's done for us and how he's, He loves us. I don't want to say how He has loved us, but how He loves us. It makes me want to say, poor God, poor Jesus. No one returns their love like they should. Not even like they could. And I feel so bad about it. I'm so unworthy to stand up here and preach to others to exhort you to do what I have not been able to do. But I say this with all my heart. I'm going to try to do better. And if you pray for me, whether you will or not, I'm going to pray for you. Amen. God bless you. Amen, brother.